Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Next Explorers podcast. I'm your host, Jordan, and I just want to, I'm clapping because 10 episodes, it's so rad. And season two has been so great. I hope you listened to uh, Pastor Ebony Small, Pastor Samuel Rodriguez, Morgan Snyder last week. So good. And this week we have a guest. Uh, his name is Mark Good. He is a missionary who serves overseas in the country of France. Now, if you didn't know this and you're a listener, my family is in the process of moving to France uh, to take a church there and to continue a ministry there that Mark and Daylene have been serving in. And France is a extremely unique place and a very, very hard place to evangelize and to share the gospel. And he's going to unpack a little bit of why that is. But it's important that you listen uh, because the gospel is still moving forward. And if you're ever curious about what's going on in Europe and what's going on in France and what it's like, he's going to share a little bit about that today. So listen up, take some notes. And uh, again, welcome to episode 10 of Next Explorers. Well, I'm here with Pastor Mark Good, and I believe he is in Louisiana this morning, so he'll tell us a little bit about that. But good morning, Pastor Mark. Good morning. Good to be here. Now, for those who, for those listeners who don't know you, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself, but I want to say I met Pastor Mark, wow, maybe, I think it was about five years ago or, or so, you know, you were visiting from France, uh, you were back, and I remember being in a kind of a chapel time, and you were teaching on prayer, and I was like, wow, there's some good stuff about prayer being said right here. I need to talk to this man a little further. And it's been cool just to, how our lives have been um, intertwined together since then. So it's such a cool and great pleasure to have you on the Next Explorers podcast. You're like the type of person that comes to mind of why I made this podcast. So uh, looking forward to getting into some of these things with you. But will you just kind of introduce yourself, your family, and kind of what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, man, it's an honor to be on the podcast with you. Thanks for having me. Um, I've been married the last uh, 33 years to Daylene, and um, we met at Bible school, both called to the country of Bangladesh, actually, the first time, and we're there 14 years, and then God completely changed our direction to France. Maybe we'll talk about that a little later. Um, after 12 years of marriage, we had our daughter, Emma. Um, she is uh, 20, going on 21. Right now, she's in university, and that's why we're here. We we popped back from France to be with her for Christmas because her dorm closed, and she was supposed to come see us and uh, couldn't get in the country. So um, we've been in France since uh, 2010, and we planted uh, a church, a university ministry, and from that has evolved a ministry to refugees and a ministry to traffic women. And in the meantime, we have been asked to be area directors for the countries of France, Belgium, Luxembourg, and Amsterdam, wow. and Monaco for Assemblies of God missionaries that are in those countries. And uh, we enjoy what we do. We're, we're really blessed. That's cool. No big deal. You're just area directors over like five different countries. You know, <laughs> that's, that's not a problem. Uh, well, how, how has it been? I mean, with the craziness, I know we'll kind of get into it, but you know, how's it been with travel? You said you came from France and, you know, people are wondering, people are always wondering what's it like? Can I go these places? How was your trip from France and what was the vibe like? Yeah, you know, the planes were, were pretty empty. I don't know if there's a whole lot of people that are able even to get into the U.S. Americans are not really able to get into France either unless you have a, a resident card, which we do. So we're really grateful for that. So that enables us to be able to get back in. 
Uh, the only thing is we have to have a negative uh, COVID test that's valid within the last 72 hours to be able to cross the borders. So it's been pretty pretty easy to travel. But, you know, our, our radar's up. We're trying to be careful, uh, you know, do all the social distancing things to try to stay healthy and make sure we don't get sick as we do what we have to do. Right. Well, I know you kind of said it, but give us maybe a little bit, just a little bit more idea of how you got to France. And, you know, you, you just basically said, I'm sure, so much life experience in like two sentences. You're like, you know, we were in this country and then God changed our plans and we went to France. Like, oh, cool. That's how it works for all of us. You know, but can you just, I think probably most people will look at missionaries and go, yeah, I don't know how they do it. You know, they must be wired differently or they're, maybe they're broken, you know, or something. But what was it like to go from the States to, what was the first country? I always forget the name. Uh, Bangladesh. Bangladesh. And then to France. Like, what was that journey like? And and what was like that first week like in France? You know, where was your guys' mind at? Yeah. You know, um, people always say, wow, Bangladesh to France, that's quite a change. And, and what's it like? And, and our, our answer is it, it's a different kind of hard, you know, because Bangladesh is the typical hard when you think of hard mission fields, you know, poverty, um, disease, extreme need, um, a restricted Muslim country being monitored by by secret police, all that. So, you know, the idea is you go to France and wow, you're, you're, you're free. You know, you don't have all that. It's, it's easier to live, but, but the spiritual atmosphere is so much more dark and difficult there in France uh, to be able to engage people about the gospel, about religion, about even believing God exists. Um, and it's a kind of a colder culture, you know, um, Southern cultures, Asian cultures are very hospitable. Um, European cultures, it takes a lot longer to sort of be accepted. So when you arrive new, uh, and, and we had no one to help us, this was a city where there were no other missionaries. We didn't know anybody. And as we went in, um, we really had to forge a lot of new territory on our own and, um, things that should take, uh, you know, normally in the States, just take a, a couple of days, could take two weeks, two months there, whether it's getting a phone or a place to live. Uh, so there was a lot of challenges. Um, there, it was a lonely time, I think. And, and I think the hardest part for us is we've spent 14 years in a country where we were known. We'd established a ministry. We felt so comfortable with the language. And here we were thrust midlife into a starting completely over again. And if anybody else has ever been in that situation, you know how hard it is to You feel like you don't carry any capital from a previous experience into the new one. Even though you do, it feels like you're not. And I yeah. think that was probably the hardest part for us. So you've been in France since, I believe you said 2010. Right. Yep. 10 Craig, years. So 10 years now. So I'm assuming that the year 2020 in France has been like, not like any other year in the last decade that you've been there. So, you know, as we're here in the States and we're watching the news and, and pretending like it's true most of the time or trying our best to find something you know, we get we get to see little reports from France or from Europe, and it's like, wow, you know, but you're there. So can you share a little bit about what's it been like in France and how has France responded to the lockdown and what does that word really mean in France in comparison to here? Like, what's 2020 been like for you in France? Yeah, since March, you know, the lockdown there uh, was, was uh, you have to stay in your house and only go out for, I think, five different approved reasons. You have to fill out a form either on your phone or paper form. 
and timestamp it. If you're out without that paper and you get stopped by the police, you could be fined. Um, you can only go one kilometer distance from your home to do any kind of physical exercise, only essential uh, businesses, and then you know face masks everywhere. So a little bit more intense than a lot of places in the States. And, uh, and France tends to observe uh, there's a lot less rebellion, believe it or not, even though France is known for its <laughs> protests and don't tell me what to do and I'm independent. Um, yeah. People tend to toe the line there pretty well. Um, I think it's because there's a social pressure that, um, you know, that people feel that they're always under the appropriate behavior, what's pr proper in French society, how you act. It's a very polite, outwardly polite society. And so there are these rules that govern behavior there that when it spills over into like new COVID restrictions, you have a lot more compliance than I think you do here in the States. So on a personal level, that's what it's like. And then on a church level, um, we were not allowed to have more than, um, well, you could have four square meters per person. And so with our smaller space, uh, it forced us at some points to have zoom church and then we did church at home where we had different house churches that met uh virtually together and uh and then we had some face-to-face -face for about a month and then boom we were back to zoom because it's been a roller coaster ride like everywhere else where it's you know one step forward three steps back a little bit of freedom no we're going to pull that back so yeah. it's been a challenge as we've just had to roll with the the, the changes and and flex and be flexible how did it feel uh, when you guys are meeting in home churches? You know, that's always a conversation that always goes back. Hey, I want to do home churches or no, I, I still think gathering together big, you know, in a, in a bigger service. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, it was good because we had to really rely on individual hosts and, uh, and others, uh, whether it was worship leaders or uh, discussion coordinators. You know, we would beam in the message from one of those locations to all the home churches but um, it really brought out a sense of ownership and responsibility. I think it was healthy for the church, to be honest. Yeah. yeah we missed being together, but it was a season where people got to sort of, uh, you know, um, expand their wings and, and do new things. And, and I thought it was right. a great thing. Are there anybody in the church that's, has there been people just pressuring to say like, you know, we need to, we need to rebel, you know, we need to meet together. You know, there's, pockets of that everywhere has that has have you felt any of that coming from the community at refuge in grenoble yeah a little bit a little bit you know not too much but enough to where you the pressure was there the expectation was there you know one side being very careful the other side saying you know we're we're capitulating to a government you know that right. is really tr using this as an excuse to to shut churches down and mm -hmm. and so yeah just like here in the states pastors are caught in the middle yeah yeah, you know, for a while there it was we we just couldn't win. You know, if you if you closed, that means you had no faith, and if you opened, it means that you really don't care about the health of people. You know, right. there was no 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 other option you had. It was just isn't leadership wonderful? Well, I mean, even be, beyond COVID, there's been so much going on, and, and that is kind of um, surprising to hear that the French aren't being French about it. You know, they're not. Where's the revolution? We need one. Someone has to start one. You know, um, but there's been, you know, increase in racism conversation, or at least just, you know, not that there's been an increase increase in racism, but it's been really brought to the to the surface of conversation politics. Um, how has that been unique in the French community? Has it, you know, as 
are the French turning on their TVs and tuning into what's going on in America and going, oh boy, you know, or does it spill over there? Or what's that conversation been like? Yeah, you know, when America was going through uh, the the amount of, of racial unrest and 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 tensions regarding Black Lives Matter and police brutality and all that. Um, it was really widespread. That particular issue really rung true with a, with a lot of French people, especially second, third generation immigrants that come from Africa and, and felt disenfranchised and marginalized. Mm-hmm. And, and then French people that were that you know were advocating alongside of them. But I think it's really interesting because um, when when the rest of the world was only seeming to have COVID to rebel against and to protest about, France had already been through a year plus of what's called the the yellow vest protests, and it was mm-hmm. against the government and and about prices and control and all that, and and they've kept that up for for every weekend after weekend for months and months and months, and so I don't know if there was like protest fatigue that sort of <laughs> set in, and, uh, and in the middle of all this, you had these acts of terrorism. You had a a junior high school teacher that was beheaded by a Chechen immigrant because he had. Um, shown cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad yeah, from a magazine, right. and it was left over from because that um, the people that had been involved in that atrocity were currently on trial, and so it's back in national consciousness. And so um, once that happened, there was a massive outpouring of support for educators and support of free speech and the secular uh, values of Europe, and so there was a lot of protests there. So I think it's almost like you got to pick and choose your protests. Uh, there, there's only a certain capacity for how many times you can rally people out there on the streets. And, and I don't think that COVID and mass was something that stirred their hearts to the extent that those other things did. Yeah, that's interesting. And, 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 this, and it's kind of one of those things, too, and I don't know if you would agree with this. I'd love your thoughts. But it's kind of like America in this last year has all of a sudden got stirred up about things. But I, I feel like when you go over to a place like France – I mean, they're, they've been stirred up about things for years and, and kind of having, I remember even when we were, when my family visited in 2019, the yellow jackets were out there marching they shut down the trams one day. And I was asking, I asked someone about it and they, they, their answer, they told me what it was about, but it was almost like no big deal. They're like, <laughs> Oh, you know, it's, it's Wednesday basically. And this is when they do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think f- maybe for us Americans here, we're like, whoa, like this is kind of the first time we've seen in a while anyway, these protests. And while maybe the French, you know, they've they've been doing some of these things for a while. They have uh, maybe you should maybe you should patent that, you know, um, protest fatigue. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you're suffering from protest fatigue, um, call Mark Good. Anyway. Well, what a year. But. I would say, and, and, and I think people maybe have a general idea of this, but I know one of the things that really stuck out, I think on the first trip that we came to France and we sat with your team there and you talked about the spiritual temperature of France and not just in the sense of here's how many Christians there are and here's how many they're not, but really more specifically why and how. And, and uh, what would you say as people listening? I'll speak a little bit to the spiritual temperature of France and then I want to obviously talk a little bit about that bill that's being discussed with France. And you can explain a little bit about what that is and how that's kind of plays a role. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you use the term spiritual temperature because, um, you know, there, 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 are, there are other terms like faith, religion, 
there's a term in French called pratiquant. It means a person who is actually practicing their faith and not just a, say a Catholic by name only. Um, mm -hmm. And so when it comes to spirituality, um, really, you know, spirituality is alive and well in France in the sense right. that, you know, there, there is a, there is a, a, a search for the transcendent. Um, they're involved in, in meditation. They follow horoscopes like you can't believe, tarot cards. There are more psychics than there are uh, Protestant pastors, you know, in the country. Man. Um, they, the French spent um, billions of euros in the last number of years on, on psychics and, and having their fortune told. So there's a thirst there. The problem is, is they've already decided because of some of the, the abuses of when the, the, the church, the national church, the, uh, uh, the Catholic church was perceived to have been corrupted because it was, it was, you know, part and parcel with the nobility and, and with the, um, the, the, the ruling class, you know, the, the monarchy. And so when they threw off the religion, um, you know, what, two, three, 250 years ago, um, there, there was a, a, a decision that the church is no longer valid for us. And so it's almost like, you know, been there, tried that. So when we come in as, a, as an evangelical or a Pentecostal church and we're presenting ourselves, you know, uh, they don't know what a, a pastor is or a Protestant. They're, they're, they're confused and, and they're kind of curious a bit, but it's almost like it, it, if you're Catholic, we've already tried that. That's passe. Um, and if you are not Catholic and you're something else, well, you're a cult. And so they, they pegged you right away um, right. To, to, to be able to dis dismiss you. And, and it's an effort to just push religion away because of a, of a distrust and, um, you know, the reputation so in that sense, um, it's very hard to have spiritual conversations with people when they've already labeled you. Um, yeah. And so our challenge is to get them to engage them in spiritual conversations without first them stereotyping us and then immediately dismissing us as if we have nothing valid to say in their lives. So the spiritual temperature, I think, is very, very cold and hard towards anything organized religion. Uh, it's, it, but they're open to new experiences. And I think that's where we as Pentecostals and Charismatics and yeah. we talk about having a, a real relationship with Jesus and the, 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 the work of the Holy Spirit uh, really have an inroad um, because that, that piques people's interest. And, and it's not right. something that you downplay. It's something you actually um, amplify because it, it does draw interest. Yeah, that's interesting. Talk a little bit about uh, the bill that's being discussed in France currently in regards to really, I mean, practicing religions and it gets into homeschooling because of what they're being taught. Um, there's, if you're listening and, and you do or don't know what that is, I think this will be interesting to hear. Yeah, there, there, um, the president Macron has really taken some steps to try to um, implement a new law that really in, in a lot of ways, it's like the other laws that have tried to crack down on, on Islam. Um, you know, the reason why Islam is, is the, the focus is because there, France is all about assimilation, that to be French is to look, act, talk, and, and have the same values of the French Republic. And, and so they have a clear idea of what that looks like. And, and past immigrants have come in and in their eyes assimilated, a lot of them because they came from European nations or other Catholic nations, what have you. But when, when a Muslim comes in and retains their, their community, their, their, their practices, their dress, 
they're eating only halal meat, um, separation and all that, um, it, 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 it grates against the, the value of French society that says the way that we're going to preserve unity because uh, that's one of their core values is they call it uh, fraternity, egality, uh, liberty. So liberty, fraternity, and, and equality. And there's always this chafing of the, the liberty, in other words, freedom of religion, freedom to practice what you believe, but then unity and, and everyone needing to, to sort of live together. And they just don't see the Muslim community being able to do that well. And then when there's there's acts of radical uh, Islam that manifest themselves through terrorism, then it really exacerbates that problem. And they're trying to deal with that. So, so basically what's happening is they're, they're passing a law that says, um, we don't like the intrusion of these more foreign radical forms of Islam that are intruding into French society. Um, good Muslims are, are peace loving. They don't do these kinds of things and therefore it's the foreigners that are causing the problem. Therefore, we're going to monitor the funding of uh, mosques. We're going to monitor the training of imams, which are the religious leaders. And we're going to monitor the, the religious schools because the, um, the, the school system, the secular uh, school system is the instrument of choice for the French government to indoctrinate basically or to form good citizens. So they see these community schools, these uh, mosque schools, these religious schools as the threat to their ability to, um, from infancy, sort of raise good citizens and instill what their values are in them. So they've passed laws now that are really going to crack down on homeschooling, religious schools, the funding of religious teachers, and also um, any house of worship that sort of espouses um, a philosophy or a teaching that goes against their values. Now, this is really going to affect uh, Christian missions because they can't just pass these laws that target and focus on Muslims. That would be discriminatory. So they're going to have to do it for all religions. And therefore, we as Christian missionaries that rely on outside funding and also have teachers that come in from the outside, um, all of these things are, um, are um, just one second. Yeah, so, so the challenge that's going to pose for, for Christian missionaries is um, the same laws or the same standards are going to be applied across the board. That could affect our ability to get visas, ability to fund church planting or, or ministries from the outside, and also um, be able to do training within, within the country. So we don't know what that's going to look like for us yet, but it doesn't really bode well for the future. Um, but we're going to have to be prepared for that and to take proper steps so that we can continue to function and do what God's called us to do here. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, some of the things you're saying, I wonder if we're together, and I'm sure you've thought about this more than I have, but there's this one, I, I would agree. I think some of the things that have taken place because of lockdowns or COVID restrictions or whatever have been good. Not everything, you know, there's been a lot of difficulty, but the idea of what do we mean by gathering together and what do we mean by church and, and what do we mean by community? You know, those things were kind of a given maybe one year ago. And now it's like, well, what do I really mean? Do I, do I just mean being in the same room with these other people for an hour and a half? Is that really what we believe Hebrews meant by gathering together or do we mean something else? And so as you were 
sharing about the home groups, it, it got me thinking. I've been reading this book, um, The Celtic Way of Evangelism, George Hunter. Mm-hmm. And um, in there, he just talks about how what St. Patrick's did, did in Ireland and all this community. And it was this reversal of, instead of maybe the Roman Catholic way of be civilized, believe what we believe, and then you belong. It was, I believe, like, come in and belong to us and let us introduce you to the gospel by teaching and what, how we live and then make a decision to follow Christ. And I wonder if there's, you know, does that, st- I mean, like I, I think, and even with this thing that you're saying from the president Macron saying, we're going to clamp down on this. Has that begin to shift the way that you're thinking? Or maybe has that, do you feel like the Lord's speaking to you about all those things working together for good in a way? Like, has anything come to mind like that for you in this last few months? Yeah, you know, it, it, I, I think a lot of these things end up forcing us to, in our missiology, to, to speed up what we've already should have been working towards, and that is um, having self-supporting, self-governing, self-propagating churches and ministries, you know, for sustainability and for longevity um, and for health. And, and so this, this, this crackdown on, on the outside coming in, um, you know, I, I think, I think it, it, also, um, it also has ramifications for how we see missions. There's been a shift in how people see missions that the, you, can, you can kind of do tourism missions, you know, go for a few months, go for uh, a, a summer, uh, maybe a right. year or two. Boy, that's extreme. But the idea of a, of a, a career missionary that takes his family um, or she takes her family um, into a country to, to, to plant there and to live there, to learn the language and to stay there for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's kind of like people like, whoa, 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 that's, that's extreme. But in this kind of situation where Dalene and I, let's say we have a 10-year residency card, like a green card. And when that's up in 2026, we have the option to become French citizens and, and once we become French citizens, none of these laws that are restrictive would apply to us because now we have as much right to be there. But that doesn't happen when your view of missions is just sort of short term. So I'm not, I'm not downplaying the, the value and importance of short term missions, but I think things like this cause us to rethink what we took for granted and to say, um, maybe we need to, to let this be a, a sign and an impetus for us to do missions in the way maybe it, it should have all, always been done or, or it needs mm-hmm. to be done uh, because then you can withstand some of these visa, uh, financial, uh, uh, legal restrictions. Um, you know, the Lord, the Lord would have us be creative and to find a way around that, um, not in, a, in an illegal way, but in creative ways. And I think, I think that that's what these kind of situations can help us to do if we're willing to be flexible and strategic and, and hear what it's trying to tell us as opposed to just fighting against it or just giving up and saying, well, um, you know, the door is closed. Yeah. Okay. Let me ask you a personal question. And I didn't, I didn't prepare you for this one. Okay. You know, you're, you're talking, you're, you're speaking on a pretty high level about missions or meaning we're kind of up here in the atmosphere, but you are a missionary. You're on the ground in France. You're a person. How are you? You know, how's this, How's it been for you? You know, has it been a discouraging process? Has it been a lonely? Has it been exciting in some ways? Just tell us as Mark, lowercase m, you know, just how's it been for you? Yeah. 
Well, it, it does. There, there are bad days. There are days when, um, you feel inadequate, um, when you feel like what you're doing is, is pretty small. Um, and, and you lose perspective and you feel like giving up. So there, there, there are days like that. Then there are other days, you know, where, um, you have a breakthrough with one person and, uh, and you realize, wow, this is worth it all. You know, if, if this is why I'm here was just to go through all of this, whether it was, mm-hmm. um, feeling ostracized or, or like we didn't fit in or, or missing family or whatever the cost is, um, for, for, for this breakthrough. And I think the Lord is faithful, you know, to, to give you that. He, uh, he lets you go through those, those soul searching times and, also punctuates that, uh, intersperses that with these these moments of, of joy, um, right. because you see God's hand working through you, um, and so it's not all bad roses, uh, and it's not all bad either. Um, it's, it's sometimes it's a roller coaster ride, but you know the thing about with all the ups and downs of a roller coaster, first of all, overall it's exhilarating. Sometimes <laughs> it's it's, it's scare, it scares your socks off, you know. But yeah. uh, at other times, you know, you come to the end and you're like, well, let's do it again, you know. Um, and, and, and yet, even with a roller coaster, you're, you're making progress, you're moving forward, you're, you're, you're going from point A to point B. So it's been said by some, you know, I've heard it, and I think maybe I've said it, although if I have, I haven't any proof that France, and let's say Europe, is just, quote, you know, further down the road culturally than the U.S., and this is the way the U.S. direction is going. Look, look at these countries in Europe, they're atheists, they're secular, they're, they're this and that you know, and maybe that they're just further down the road of what's considered normal in culture. Do you think that's true? How or how not, you know, you're, you've lived there now. How, how, and how is that true? And how is it not true in your opinion? Well, I, I think, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, the truth is America is becoming more and more secular. And I think it's important to define at the outset what secularism is. Secularism is not right. atheism. Secularism yeah. is the the removal of God from the center of your worldview and from your life and the one who has the moral authority. So, and it's the replacement of God with self. So it's the exaltation of self. So humanism has something to do with that. Humanism is this belief in the, the goodness uh, and the, you know, the supremacy of man, that man through uh, his knowledge and science and logic can accomplish all things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that plays into secularism, which then is saying we want to remove God as the focus of life and replace self with that. So um, America is becoming more and more like that. But here's the difference. The difference is um, it was what, 1789 when France went through its revolution and basically cast off the church and said, we, God is no longer a part of our worldview and our, our society. Um and, and then there were, there were very strict laws that finally were passed in the turn of the century of 1900, 1901, that really just completely uh, put the, um, the restrictions on the church from being able to exercise freely. Um, so so the, the secularism that America is used to is, is, is a separation of church and state. So basically what that is, is that you know, any state-sponsored or funded institution or property is not supposed to have an expression of, um, of faith there. And even that's a, a, a misconception regarding their founding fathers who just didn't want there to be a state imposed church. Right. But anyway, be that as it may, 
I think this is the difference. This is what secularism looks like to uh, uh, Americans. And, and here's, here's the, the, the deal. The, the, the secular mindset and worldview is so ingrained in French society that today, if you talk to someone on the street and say, you know, what, what's your family background or exposure to God or religion? They'll say, well, maybe my grandmother maybe got baptized in the Catholic Church. But us, you know, you know, for them, it's like, if God exists, I don't know, but it's irrelevant either way. You know, there's not so much a, like an atheist anti-God stamp out God out of everything. It's just God is irrelevant. Why would we even go back to that? Um, but it's so ingrained that uh, they say 60% of all French people have never seen or touched a Bible in their life. Um, we have less than 1% born-again believers in France, whereas in the U.S., uh, upwards of 30% of all Americans would say they've had a born-again experience with Jesus Christ. Right. So even though France, uh, I mean, the U.S. is headed that direction, they're light years away, um, and the U.S. has a long way to go before they get to the point where France is at, but it, it is moving that direction. Um, but those are some of the main differences between the atmospheres, I think. Yeah, what are some other misconceptions you think that people have about the French that just simply aren't true once you get to know them? Yeah, you know, I mean, typically people go to Paris, you know, and they think the French people right. are stuck up and rude. Um, mm -hmm. But you have to imagine that uh, if, uh, if, if, if thousands and thousands of French people came to your city right. and they were asking you for directions in French and never took the time to even learn some key phrases in English, uh -huh. You get kind of tired of it after a while, you know, and, yeah. and you might just, you know, want to blow them off after you've seen, you know, hundreds of them the same way, you know, just kind of coming in and, um, you know, uh, being loud and, and speaking English and being demanding or whatever. So um, I just think that people's idea of France is Paris. And, and here's the deal. Most of the rest of France doesn't like Paris either. <laughs> they think <laughs> Parisians are a certain breed. So it, take, yeah. it takes getting outside of Paris to experience a different kind of French person sometimes. And, um, you know, they're really, um, you know, France has been the birthplace of a lot of innovation, a lot of ideas. So whether yeah. philosophical ideas or, or fashion or, or, or music or, you know, whatever it might be. And, um, I think that there, when when you've been the birthplace of new ideas for so long, there's probably a tendency to say, well, we'll see, you know, if that's going to pan out, if that's actually going to be worth getting behind. So it, there, there's a cynicism and a distrust that can be there on the surface, but I think they've got good reason to be that way because they've seen a lot of things. They're a very, very old culture. And so uh, being cynical, being suspicious, being a little bit cold, um, we found that if people have come into Grenoble where we live, they'll say, you know what, the French are not anything like what I thought. It's yeah. because they got outside of Paris. They tried a little bit of language. Um, they, they got with the common people and they realized, you know, that, uh, that underneath it all, the French people are, are great. Um, they just uh, sometimes have a little chip on their shoulder with America because uh, they see the infiltration of English and American culture coming in. And they'd like to preserve a little bit of, uh, of, of their French culture. And so uh, these yeah. are some of the attitudes that you come up against. I also don't think people, especially here, realize what we even mean by preserving culture. Like, I, I don't think Americans have any idea what that means. Because our, 
our culture is so spread out and different. There's people from all over the place. Our culture was started by a bunch of people with multiple cultures. You know, that was the, right. our birthplace. But it's clear in France and just from our short time there, and even in other countries in Europe, and you said it like these places, these countries are old. I mean, right. not just like old, but I mean, they're ancient, ancient places with, and some of these people's families go back hundreds upon hundreds of years, you know, and what America is a, just a few hundred years old, you know, you're, you're talking, I mean, I read a, I think, I forget when Joan of Arc was alive, maybe the 1600s. Um, I could have that wrong, but I read a book last year on her and I was just thinking, and they're naming French cities. And I thought, what this like, yeah. this is incredible. You know, yeah, even, so even the, our city of Grenoble, uh, it, uh, is from the third century, uh, AD. Wow. It was founded by, by, uh, uh, you know, in honor of Trajan. So, you know, you can even see some of the remnants of the old wall there and, and we're Grenoble, you know, but it's, uh, it's a, it's an ancient city. Yeah. You know, and so for the French, even just speaking to some of the, the French people inside of refuge was you could tell the preservation of culture was something totally foreign to me that I'd ever, I'm not trying to protect anything necessarily about our culture, you know, well for them, just an appreciation or an attempt. I think you said it really went a long way. Just saying, I, you know, I always let off with like, Oh, désolé, je parle petit français. They're like, you know, and then they could tell even just by me, even messing up words that say, I'm sorry, I only speak a little French. Like that door was open. They're like, and a lot of them spoke English, but then a place too, like Grenoble is interesting because there's also people from all around the world, which is unique because of France borders. There's people just flooding in. So you have this, ironic place where culture is so important to them and yet they're flooded with other people from other cultures and it's this cycle which goes back to some of the things that the government's trying to do you know and that's got to play a unique a a unique uh, make a unique um, variables for even just trying to do evangelism Um, do you find that it's different to evangelize to people who have immigrated to France more so than the French person and you being an immigrant to France yourself trying to evangelize. Right. I mean, that's got to create a lot of issues. How have they differ from each other? Yeah, well, they, they really differ greatly um, because a lot of the people that are immigrants come from some kind of a, of a God-centered worldview, whether it's Buddhism or, or uh, uh, say, uh, Islam, even animism, you know, there's a worship of some kind of a, a spiritual power, you know. Yeah. So so ministering to them is is is... You can you can uh, ideally get to first base with them about spiritual conversations, but the problem is, like when we came from Bangladesh, a majority Muslim culture culture where Christians were the minority, um, we were the minority, and therefore um, we were kind of interesting to them. And Islam was the majority culture, so they were interested in what we had to say because it was kind of new. Whereas if you go into the inner cities where most of the Muslim peoples have have immigrated and gathered. Um, they're very insular and suspicious of outsiders. Why? Because now they're a minority culture and they're trying to preserve what little that they have against the onslaught of being uh, in a secular culture. They're afraid for the direction that, that their kids' lives are going and what they're exposed to. So it's right. much, much harder to penetrate these small pockets of, of culture. And, and as you minister to them, you, know, you have to totally switch gears with the French because um, you know, you have to even convince them, you know, of, of the things that uh, you kind of take for granted as far as your, your worldview goes. But here's what we found, Jordan. 
we found that there's an ache in the hearts of, of both the, the French and, and the immigrants. The immigrants will come in and maybe they've tried really hard to assimilate and learn the culture, get a good job, uh, put their kids in school, learn the language. And, and they're maybe now third generation. They're as French as French can be regarding a lot of their, their cultural habits and their ability to speak French and all, but they've never felt accepted. Many of them will say, it doesn't matter how French I try to become, it's never enough. I'll always have the yeah. word foreigner written across my forehead. So they'll say, I've never been invited into a French home. Wow. And then you've got French people that see this change of demographics, how it's affected the economy and jobs and, and the culture. They see it as a threat. For instance, the, the, the minister of the interior of France was recently went into a grocery store where they had an ethnic food section and he was offended by the ethnic food section says, this is just an example of how communitarianism, which means having little pockets of culture within a wow. culture are a threat to us. He couldn't even stand there being like halal food or kosher food or, or Asian food sections in the supermarkets. So you've got this clash. So they feel threatened by it. And, and what we have found this, you know, evangelism, what does it mean? It's the declaration of good news. And so what's good news for the immigrant on the surface may not be good news for the French person. The French person right. wants to see um, what's, what's going to solve the problem for our, our, our racial inequalities and for unrest and for these, these immigration problems. And, and um, when they can see that, uh, that Jesus is the thing that can, can bring the two sides together, when they see a city on a hill like the refuge where there are, are multiple cultures, including French culture coming together in a beautiful family where there's harmony and mutual love and respect and, and unity. That's good news for the European. And yeah. so being the community of God, the kingdom of God is actually preaching the good news to the European community. And then what it also does it do is that when these foreigners come in to this setting and they're accepted by French people and they belong, it's the healing of the ache in their heart, and it's good news for them as well. And so when we think of evangelism, evangelism is not just Jesus died for your sins, um, because that may not be the question that they're asking, because Jesus being the answer is evangelism, but we have to let Jesus be the answer to the questions that people are actually asking. And these are the two questions that these two sides are asking in their hearts, and this is how we're preaching the good news by presenting Jesus as the answer to that question. And we really believe that it is good news for both sides. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Okay, a couple of things before I let you go. If the, if the church is going to grow in France, and I mean the capital C church, you know, not necessarily butts in the seats of different establishments, but, you know, the kingdom of God and, and, and the kingdom of God in the hearts of French people. If the church is going to grow in France, what would you say needs to happen? Well, it kind of goes along these lines um, of the church needs to escape from having a bunker mentality um, because they have been the minority for so long and felt deprived of their rights. Oftentimes, um, the mentality is uh, we need to shield ourselves from the from the dominant culture and, and retain our culture. And, and what that does is that when new people then come in, from that culture into the church, they, they can sense the suspicion or that they don't belong. And so if the church is gonna grow, 
and and reach the 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 unchurched um, and the secular person. Um, I, I believe hospitality, and like you were saying with the Celtic wave of evangelism, transforming the way that we make people feel welcome in our midst, that they belong first. I think is is key um, for 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 a lot of different reasons. And I think the other thing is too is um, they 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 really need to to release ministry and trust to the younger generation. I'll tell you a quick story. There was a seminary president from Belgium who came to a meeting of, of all, a lot of the pastors in our denomination. And um, they asked him, what do you think of, uh, what do you think of our, uh, our, our, our churches and, and our, our training for new ministers? And he said, you really want me to tell you what I really think? Um, well, <laughs> I, he said, um, you guys are not trusting. You don't trust the next generation. And he expected them to be offended. And he was so surprised when they applauded and they were saying, yes, that's who we are. We don't trust. Um, <laughs> and he was that's so funny. blown away um, it, because it is kind of like a, a, a value to see, you know, you have to, you have to prove yourself before we're going to entrust you with this responsibility of say planning a church or being all the ministry. But what they've done sure. is they've, they've, they've just put a, a, a plug on the ability for young people to come up and they, they, they want to plant a lot of churches, but there has to be a sense of uh, giving people permission to fail and, and trusting people and releasing people in the ministry rather than trying to hold on to power and only eking out, you know, doling out responsibility when someone has gone through this and all these hoops to prove themselves. I don't think that a church can grow as quickly as it needs to um, mm -hmm. when those things are in place. So I would say there has to be much more trust and ability to allow people to fail and, and uh, just an explosion of revolutionary hospitality in the churches that will help people to feel welcome. I think that's where the church needs to go to really uh, expand and grow. Well, I expect great things from you and your wife, Daylene, because you're in now your area directors for all these people. And I'm sure that you're going to be really speaking to a lot of younger generation leaders. And I think that's going to be you know, probably right in your wheelhouse. The Lord's probably stirring those things up in you for a reason. So that's exciting. Um, I think for sure I wanted to make sure that I said thank you. I know on behalf of many people who have met you or haven't met you, the, just the choice to do what you've done is inspiring. Um, but also just an, a normal example of being obedient. God speaks different things to everybody. We all get a, a chance to step into that or not. And so um, to be able to chat with you and do life with you on some level is awesome. I look forward to that even more so. So maybe last question would be put you on the hook for some things so you can li listen back to this podcast as the years go by. Um, but what do you believe in God for in the next 10 to 20 years in France and in Europe? You're stepping into a, a different type of leadership capacity that's going to probably restrict you on some level and free you up on others. So what are you believing God for in the next 20 years, 10 to 20 years in France and in Europe that, that we could be praying about, that we could be expecting, or even as I give you opportunity to share how we can stay connected with you, how we could partner. Yeah, I'll, I'll limit it to two things. Um, you know, one is revival. And, um, you know, revival is, is where there's such an explosion of the presence of God upon everything that we do and, and attempt for him that it's almost like it's too easy because there's, there's just this low-hanging fruit where the Holy Spirit is already preparing hearts. And the reason why I have such a, a hope for revival is because um, the, the French Protestants that were basically, uh, they tried to snuff them out back in the wars of religion in the five, 500s, 600s, 
there were there were hundreds of thousands of Protestant people that were martyred and slaughtered um, by by the government, and we have never seen a commiserate uh, move of God that um, based on the amount of of blood that was shed. And I'm just believing that God's going to honor that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's going to move in revival. Uh, and that's why we're there. We want to be a part of it when it happens. And then the second thing that I'm believing for a part of this revival, I believe is, is the, um, the, the last frontier of healing. So if you go back in church history, you know, in the fifties, there was these healing revivals and the latter rain movement where ministries like Catherine Coleman and, and AA Allen and, um, uh, a lot of these, these, these people, um, they, there, there was lots of healing that, that took place and God swept through the, the nations with a, a manifestation of healing physical problems. And, and there was revival that resulted. But in France, we have never seen so much mental illness. And, what I, and this is what I believe is, is the last frontier of healing. Um, you know, France kicked God out of the country 200 years ago and the elevated reason and man's you know, mind, his his ability to think and science and logic to be God. And whenever you replace God with, with something else, that thing will end up destroying you, whether it's, it's a substance or alcohol or, or yeah. pleasure or sex, whatever it might be. And, and I believe that there is an, uh, there was an open door for the enemy to come in and attack people's minds. And we've never seen so much bipolar disorder, post-traumatic stress, uh, schizophrenia, suicide, than we have in France. It's the number one consumer of psychotropic drugs in the world of treatment of illness. Wow. And, and just recently, Daly and I have had um, uh, where, where we were reached out to by a young woman who had tried to take her life multiple times. And she was in our local asylum, uh, mental hospital there in the Grenoble area. And we went to visit her. Our, our eyes were open to how massive this place was and how many people are actually in this hopeless situation where thankfully they're getting medication and treatment and psychotherapy and all that. I'm grateful for medicine and for science, for psychology. But I do believe that what God wants to do is sweep through the nations with this wave of healing. I I think when Jesus, um, when, when he, the the man who had the legion of demons that were cast to the pigs, it says, after that happened, it says the whole town came out and they saw this man sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. There was such an awe that came over them to see this man that everyone knew was crazy, violent um, from demons, delivered and set free and in his right mind. And I believe that that's what God's going to do in France. I I believe that that we're going to see a wave of healing that is supernatural um, and and, going to demonstrate to society and they're going to come out and see people sitting dressed in their right minds and the awe of god is going to come over them and that's what i'm believing for in these last days in france love that well pastor mark uh, again so good to have you on the podcast can you just tell the listeners if they want to be in touch with you you know your website your social media tags and how we can stay in touch yeah you know on twitter it's mark and day m-a-r-k-n-d-a-y um is m underscore d underscore good uh at instagram uh it's mark and day uh on on facebook um and then our website is mark daily good m-a-r-k-d-a-l-e-n-e good uh at um 
dot com. Sorry, that's what it is. So. <laughs> yeah. And I'll put all those in the notes. If you're okay. listening, you can find that and uh, click. So, hey, thanks, Pastor Mark. I appreciate it so much. And it was great to have you on Explorers. And uh, we believe in what you're doing, obviously. And uh, thanks for leading the way and setting the pace. Thanks, Jordan. It was great to, to have this conversation with you. Appreciate it. Yeah. God bless you. Merci beaucoup. Thank you so much, Pastor Mark. Wow. With all that's going on in the world and everybody's different perspective, I'm always encouraged to listen to a man of God like Pastor Mark share with me what he's believing to come in the next, you know, 10 to 20 years in a place like France, which is a difficult place. Um, a place that's, wow, I mean, just uh, leading the way with you know, antidepressants and things like that. But um, we're believing for revival and resurrection for the country of France. And uh, I highly encourage you to stay connected with Pastor Mark and Daylene. I put all their Instagram and Twitter and Facebook on the notes of this podcast. Uh, reach out to them. And you know what? Pray for them too. Uh, what they need more than anything is prayer. Uh, pray that God would bring them community, protection, provision, and uh, make that a part of your routine. Pray for Mark and Daylene Good. And all that they do. Hey, I appreciate you listeners. Again, the music is by Andrew Arcadi, and I'm your host, Jordan Abina. Keep exploring, everybody. See you next time.